Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Thanksgiving is here. Sorry for the delay in episodes, but welcome to the ninth episode of the official Nerd Talk podcast, Geek Speak. I'm your host, Sean, and joined as always is my co-host, Josh, certified goofball, Rudy Rudolph. This is the podcast where we watch movies, make movies, play games, and more. What else can you ask for? And today, my friend here, Hunter Ferris, is known here on, known on TikTok as Wholesome Film Talk, previously Story at the Core, and has a massive over 25,000 followers because of his love of film. Welcome, Hunter, as our first ever guest. Hi, Sean. Hi, Josh. Hi, people who are listening slash watching to this. Yeah. Uh, for those who don't know, usually you can listen to this only as an audio format, but we have this on YouTube today as a video as well. Woohoo! Yay. We talk like about that. movies, and so we're on videos so you can have a visual component to, to talk about Crazy. visual media. See, the only true way to listen to a podcast is by watching it. <laughs> so as I said before, Thanksgiving is, is here. It's tomorrow when we're recording this. Um, that's awesome. Do you guys have any fun Thanksgiving traditions you do? Uh, we, what do we do? We eat the food, as obvious, um, as you do on Thanksgiving. Uh, sometimes we'll watch a Christmas movie. It depends on what it is. If I get up at 9 a.m. tomorrow, then I'll watch the parade. We'll have to see about that. And then maybe some Black Friday shopping. Maybe. It depends. My family goes Thanksgiving caroling sometimes. I've never heard of that before. Oh, uh, th- there's a song in my church's hymn book that's like a very specifically Thanksgiving song. And okay. it's, a, it's a big, joyful, raucous, fun song. And so we go knock on our neighbor's doors and we're like, hey, we're here to go Thanksgiving caroling. And then we sing that song in four-part harmony because that's the kind of family we are. I love that. That's very interesting. Never heard of that before, but I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> I like caroling. I think caroling is so fun, but like people seem to hate it, I guess. I don't know. I like the idea of going and spreading cheer with, with songs. Same, same. And if you are the type of people who like learn to get good at caroling, then people really like it when you carol to them. Right. So normally in this podcast, we also have what I'm now calling the sidecar of the podcast, uh, which is our DCOM minisodes. So we're going through watching every single Disney Channel original movie, me and Josh are, Woo-hoo. and to the, from the beginning of time, from the 90s onward. That's the beginning time, of time. Time did, not, time did not exist before the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. We're seeing how the biggest media company on earth, Disney, catered towards solely children with a large sample size over a short period of time, seeing how many uh, quality changes happening, seeing how anything really changes, and seeing who it does it all. And it's kind of fun to do. We just uh, watched Halloween Town 2. That was a very fascinating film. If you want to watch our, listen to our recap of that, you can go on the, on the previous audio, and the next audio after this will be Johnny Tsunami. So with that out of the way, let's talk about some fun little news things that happened over the past few weeks that have been interesting and noteworthy first thing i want to say is that last time we recorded a podcast we talked about chris pratt we talked about how Indeed. he 
he talked about he was uh, joined as Mario in the Mario movie, and then he got cast as another animated character about two weeks ago as Garfield <laughs> the Cat in a new what Garfield is movie. What is happening right now? This is so fascinating to see. What's he going to do after Garfield? I'm so curious now, because like if they're both after? really successful, he'll probably keep doing it. So I'm very curious what it'll be. Honestly, I still think that Chris Pratt is like the perfect person to play. Mar- Sorry, the perfect voice to voice Mario. Yeah. Like he's got those he, he's got the right inflection of how his voice goes up all the time. And that, that has like these peaks and valleys to the pitch of his voice all the time. Just perfect Mario. Throw on an Italian accent. And that's what Chris Pratt's voice is. Yeah, I think it'll work really well. He doesn't have to be like a phenomenal like, oh, it's a me Mario voice. That would only work for two hours. No, but the the Garfield voice. I'm very. Oh, that is by. exactly what I want out of him. <laughs> <laughs> like if he's just doing that Mario voice that that uh, Charles Martinet, I want to say his name was that uh-huh. voice for two hours. I would love that. Like just lean into the silliness of his voice. I don't think Charles Martinet could do it for two hours. I think that like that level of Mario wouldn't work necessarily for a whole film. But Chris Pratt doing it might actually work really well. I'm thinking of that now. But Garfield As- is fascinating because it's like. What voice? Wait, just his normal voice again? Like for Onward and Lego movie, I guess, again? Yeah, as for Garfield, no offense meant whatsoever toward Chris Pratt. I'm just like, that. that's not his role. He right. plays Golden yeah. Retriever Gamer Voice. He plays upbeat, <laughs> positive character. He is the living embodiment of a Golden Retriever. This He's- is Aubrey Plaza's role. It's just that Garfield is male. That's so true. <laughs> it's Jerry Gergich. It's yes. got, I'm so curious who else is going to get cast in this. I'm going to will I'm play gonna John. Say, I'm, I'm going to say this Kevin Hart will be a voice in it. I don't know as who, but Kevin Hart will probably be a voice in it. I would actually love to see Michael Sarah as John Arbuckle. I would love that so much. That's oh good. my, that's fantastic. Yes, anyway. So, we also on the podcast, we don't really say good or bad or anything, we say yay or nay because film is all subjective. There's no really objectivity in, in art, it's all preference. So, do you all give this a yay or a nay to this news? I'm going to give it a yay purely out of just, I need to see what this will be. Cause like you don't announce something like that and then don't deliver on it. So I need to see what will happen with it. I'm going to give it a nay because I really liked Bill Murray voicing Garfield back <laughs> in the day. And I was like, that was perfect. Why are we not just getting Bill Murray back? Like there's no better person to voice Garfield than, than Bill Murray. But at the same time, I do love hearing Chris Pratt's voice in anything. He is a decent voice actor. Like he does a good job with his inflections and his like personality with his voice, which I'm actually really impressed with. Like in Onward and in Lego Movie, he had a lot of fun with the characters. But I think I'm kind of indifferent. But I'll give it. I'm gonna give it a nay for the sole reason that this should be out of any Parks character. It should be Jerry, not not Andy. Um, <laughs> I would also love to see Nick off. Nick off the same thing. Yeah. Um. Yes. Oh, this, that'd be great. Like, like low temper could work really well with this. Yes! Uh, that would be great. Nay, nay, yay. So, Josh, you're outnumbered here. I'm sorry. Man. Josh, you've, been voted, you've been voted off the island. Uh, <laughs> all right. Have, have fun with the podcast without me. Uh, another thing that happened, uh, another voice acting thing that happened, is John Krasinski is officially announced for playing Superman in DC's Super Pets movie. And then also the trailer came out, but whatever. The casting. <laughs> Do you guys hear about that at all? Yeah. I, yeah, I, 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 it's... 
I think this is a good fit. I think Krasinski um, is a good enough actor and he can bring that level of charm needed for like for this version of Superman. And I think even thinking of him like as a live action Superman, I think that he could work as well. So I'm fine with this. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw the trailer, heard his voice in the trailer. I think Krasinski does a great Clark Kent. Yeah. Like his voice just feels perfect for Clark Kent. And I'm like trying to get used to his voice as Superman. I think it's funny because I've been telling uh, Josh for years now, I want him in the DC universe, but as in live action, as Hal Jordan Green Lantern, I think he'd be perfect. He's like my, my top casting choice. He has the comedic timing for it. He has like the, the physique for it and the seriousness he needs for that kind of cop role. I think he'd be great. But Superman, like picturing like, his voice, like his Clark Kent, I think works really, really well. He has this like kind nature to him. And I like that. So I'm giving this a yay. Did you guys see the trailer? I saw yeah, half I did. Of it. Okay, okay. You I probably saw, saw the half with John Krasinski. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, uh, at first I thought that it like Dwayne Johnson as crypto wasn't gonna work. But like now that I'm seeing it, I'm like, you know what? This actually like does work better than I thought that's it was going Dwayne to. Dwayne Johnson? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And Kevin Hart is Ace the Bat Hound. Oh, yay. Oh, yay. <laughs> uh, Sorry, if I may ramble for a bit, I've been wanting Ace the Bat Hound in a movie for so long. Simply right? because, like, the mere, first off, uh, having a dog in a Batman movie immediately makes that Batman movie better. The mere presence of Bruce having a dog is a great way to communicate who Bruce is in this particular version. Batman Begins is a much more emotional Bruce, so having having Ace act in the role of an emotional support animal would really support, no pun intended, uh, the kind of character that Chris Nolan is setting up in Batman Begins. Um, in The Batman, it's much more of a detective noir story. Having him be like a bomb-sniffing dog would be a great way to communicate who Bruce is. In Zack Snyder's version, he's a much angrier Batman. Having him be an attack dog, just giving Bruce a dog tells us everything we need to know about who this Bruce is. Because every Bruce has been different. Yeah, I would love to see in like, uh, going to the past the Nolan point, I think Ace would fit really, really well in The Dark Knight Rises. Like that retired yeah. Batman is like having him by his side. Especially since it's literally a cat one breaks into his house and steals his stuff. Being like sick him would be great. Absolutely. And I think that just like introducing Ace in a relatively mainstream movie, I think gives us a little more hope to have Ace in more live action Batman projects. Plus it's Kevin Hart. That's fun. Is it like contractually obligated that every other movie Dwayne Johnson, Kevin Hart makes, they have to appear with one another? Cause like even in Hobbs and Shaw, Kevin Hart <laughs> appears in it. And like, it's only for two scenes, but like he's in it and like, I'm fine with this, but like, is it contractually obligated for both of them? Like, I'm just curious. God, I hope so. So, uh, so John Krasinski as uh, Clark Kent and DC Superpets, yay or nay? I'm giving yay. 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 Moving on. This is kind of funny. For GQ, Jacob Batalon uh, said that Tom Holland would love to play James Bond. And he keeps saying, in front of on set, he keeps saying how he would be a great Bond. If that's true, fascinating. Uh, this, this would be really interesting because uh, I think that if Tom Holland did get the part, I think that it would have to be, again, a very different James Bond than what we've seen in Daniel Craig and all the other versions, which I think that's a good way for keeping the franchise going is by introducing these different kinds of versions of Bond and these I different ideas of what we could expect from him. And like even Dwayne Johnson also recently said he would like to play Bond. Could I see that? Who knows? But that, again, would be a very different interpretation of the character. But I think that going that route of different versions, I think would help keep the character alive as well. 
Okay, okay, go. Hear me out. We get Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Idris Elba, uh, Tom Hardy, and Tom Holland all playing James Bond in the same movie. It's Bond into the Bondverse. Oh my god. I'm down. If that if something like that, I would pay money to see. Oh, I w- I'm not even a Bond fan, and I would pay money to see that. That's the thing. Because, I'm not like, a Bond fan really either. I don't love I've never been a huge fan of what I've seen. I was a kid, I watched things of part of either Goldfinger or Golden Eyes when I was little. I'm like, this is fine. It's like my dad's kind of like spy era movies. I think why I watched some of them when I was little. Um, and then also I watched Casino Royale, and I know it's like people objectively good. I watched it maybe like five years ago. I'm like, this is fine. I was never a huge fan of these kind of spy movies. I don't know what it is about it. Like, I don't like, I watched part of Jason Bourne, one of them, and I didn't wasn't a huge fan. But I think just Tom's too young right now. I want someone who's in their 30s, 40s who has an experience for that kind of character. Again, I, as someone who's not been a huge fan of Bond, I think that he could pull in people who have been a fan of Spider Man or comic books. So he could pull in a different kind of audience. Like, I would go to see him as James Bond because I like Tom Holland. So, something that always weirds me out whenever an actor says, I want to play Bond, is that, like, half the time, they already did? And, like, why? Okay, now, please understand, I'm coming at this having only seen one Bond movie, and it was Spectre, which a lot of Bond fans are Ah. like, oh, no, dude, I'm I'm sorry. You need to watch another Bond movie. That wasn't the right... Anyway, um, I'm not saying against Spectre. I'm just saying that, like, that's where I'm coming from. What I understand of Bond is he is the quintessential gentleman spy. And so I'm like, when Henry Cavill said... Sorry, when everyone's like, we want Henry Cavill playing Bond, I was like, he already did in The Man from Uncle. He played yep. the quintessential gentleman spy. I know he did a great job. I would absolutely love to see him coming back in, as Napoleon Solo in, in another Man from Uncle movie. But I'm like, mm-hmm. why do we want him playing Bond? He already did. Or like Taron Egerton. I know nobody said he should play Bond, but I'm like, that's what Kingsman is. That yep. is the whole entire point of Kingsman. So when Tom Holland said, I want to be Bond, I'm like, no, you want to be Eggsy. I, I know you. Uh, I know you want to be Bond because, like, Bond has this long-standing British tradition. But, like, if you just want to play a gentleman spy and you're young, go play Eggsy. We have mm-hmm. other gentleman spies. That said, like, James Bond has this long-standing British tradition. It's probably just. It's probably you know, kind of every British male actor's dream to play Bond. Um, I'm also just like not really understanding Bond well enough to be able to say, yes, you are the right Bond, not the right Napoleon Solo. Because to me, Bond is just a quintessential mm-hmm. gentleman spy and nothing else. Also, I'm just, sorry, very, very brief rant. An actor saying that they want to play a character is just an opinion. It is not saying anything about whether they will or will not play the character, but it does give us fun stuff to talk about on a podcast. Exactly. That's, I put it there because I also think it's funny because Jacob Badalon said it. Not even not even Tom Holland. Jacob said that his co-star wants to play his character. I think that's really funny. I, th- I think Jacob of- Badalon, wingman. <laughs> I think out of all of us, I've seen the most Bond films, and by the most, I mean I've seen all the Daniel Craig ones. Um, and those films have tried to like I guess redefine Bond or like what the concept of Bond is by exploring actually exploring his character. Um, and I think that that's good for this series, but I think that for Bond to continue, I say go back, go back um, to that era of just like pure gentleman spy, just go all in on it. Would Tom necessarily fit that? I don't know, but it's fun to discuss it. 
I think in the era of Kingsman and the Man from Uncle, in one sense, we don't need to go back to the to the old quintessential gentleman spy because we've already got that. We have other movies that just absolutely love the gentleman spy and uh, Bond is over here like, okay, okay, now we can do other stuff. Other people are doing that for us. Maybe I'll have to do a whole episode about like spies and spy movies then soon because this is very fascinating to talk about. Yeah. But for this specifically, I'm going to say nay because I just... I. I'm not a big Bond guy anyway right now. I'm not a big spy guy in most movies right now. So that one already is not too uh, great for me. But I think the idea of his is a little fascinating. But he's just too young right now. And I don't know if he'll be Peter Parker as Bond. Like he kind of feels right now in the entire trailer. He feels like he's just being Peter Parker again. If he can show that he can do it very differently, that'd be interesting. But right now it's an A for me. Oh, I've seen Tom Holland have that level of charisma and command of like, I'm in charge here and I'm going to go get the job done and I'm going to break the rules if I have to, but also I am charming. I am suave. Like he can play a great bond. I'm also just like, that, that's just exit. <laughs> um, that said, I would love to see Tom Holland in a spy movie again. The last time that he was in a spy movie, he was not the spy. <laughs> I'll go and give this a nay uh just because i want a break from bond because we've got kingsman's coming out there's probably a whole bunch of other spy movies down the line give bond time to think of a new way to live in this world like no where the kingsman exists and like all these other versions of spies and stuff and find a new fun angle for it i I like that perspective i will say a yay by the way cool because like Uh, tom holland is awesome and bond is awesome and putting the two together actually does seem really cool and like letting tom holland lean into his sex appeal just like bond would be a great role for tom holland that's fair enough uh leonardo's piece that's kind of small like eh, whatever tom holland is in a movie called spider-man no way home a trailer came Uh, out a week ago nothing uh, nothing that, that thing I, was, I, I haven't it. heard of this. Is this some sort of little indie movie? Yeah, out, yeah, out yeah. It's really small from a studio, studio it's, called Marvella. It's really, it's, it's not going to be that big. Like, it's, it might have the other ones from the past, but like, who really cares? But seriously, this trailer is, is for me as a yay. I'm excited for it. Oh, I'm not going to go to Yeah, it's really cool. Look, if I get a nostalgia fest out of No Way Home and I get a multiverse out of No Way Home, I will be happy. It oh, is yes. hard to displease me with fan service and a multiverse. Agreed. Also, I love Andrew Garfield so much as an actor. Like, tick, tick, boom, we'll talk about it soon. But also, just like, his Spider-Man's my favorite Spider-Man, and so I'm getting him to see him and get to it again. And apparently they also talked to Sam Raimi and Mark Webb for characterizations, which I think is really cool. I, that, I, I like that. that. I read that yesterday, yeah. So that, if that is the case, I love that. Because just having actors wear costumes again, and by the different director and writer, doesn't really mean, doesn't really mean they get the same characters anymore. It just be different interpretations. So I, having the original creative teams even like uh, consulted is really cool to me if it does happen. I had not heard about Sam Raimi and Mark Webb getting consulted. If that's true, that's really cool. I haven't been tracking the news like that hard on this <laughs> movie though. I, I kind of gave up when I realized that I couldn't tell which things were rumors and which things were true. Yeah, yeah my entire TikTok feed is just no way home uh, rumors and facts and other things like, okay, look at this frame of the lizard being punched. That's not there. Ah, that one Brazilian trailer has that scene with the lizard being hit with nothing. It's probably one of the Spider-Man being removed. Cool. We know they're in it. Just, just say it at this point. 
I, I still want so, that. I, I want to wait for the reveal to be in the movie. Like, and Sony knows that we know they're in it, but they're going to be like, let's save it for, for you, just for you, even though you already know. Yeah. If Marvel and Sony are going so hard as to put Andrew Garfield on an NDA so that he can't say it, and if Marvel and Sony are intentionally hiding the truth and intentionally lying from, for, to us, there is a reason. And I want to watch it the way the director and studio intended instead of just like being spoiled. The word spoiler is, yeah. has the word spoil in it for a reason. I don't want to spoil the experience. Guys, I'm not the werewolf. Because <laughs> he keeps saying constantly. Yeah, I, I'm going to say, yeah, this trailer is cool. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited for it. I want to see it. I like seeing the, the villains again. I like seeing potentially a version of uh, Lizard and Salmon that actually might have died in this universe or something that's really fascinating to me. I'm curious about this. So I'm giving it a yay. I'm giving it a yay. It's Spider-Man. It's a multiverse. It's fan service. I'm giving it a yay. Sorry, guys. I'm just finishing up <laughs> making lunch. No, you're I good. love it. You're great. Speaking of multiverse, a video game we talked about last episode uh, called Multiverses officially oh, got boy. a gameplay teaser trailer. We talked about this last time and how we were talking about how the rumor to like people like uh, Tommy Soprano or something like that. Because this is a game that one person is making that has Batman, Shaggy, Gandalf, uh, Arya Stark, a bunch of random characters from different one Brothers franchises. I'll give them this. They've got enough characters to make a game like this work. But why it exists, I don't exactly know. But it's free to play. So, like, I can't really, like, get mad at it that much if they're going to go out of their way to say, like, yeah, it's free. You can play, like, for free whenever you want. So, I'm like, I'll give them props for that. Doesn't need to happen? Not necessarily. Am I going to play it? Yeah, I think I will. So, as for whether it needs to happen or not, I'm going to give the very hot take that the world is better for having more art. And that the default should be, oh, yay, more art. And not the default being this art shouldn't exist and needs to justify its existence and is guilty until proven worthwhile. And I'm like, no, 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 it's art. That makes it good. Unless it has like some extremely malicious intent until it gets like triumph of the will or something like that. It is good that it exists just for the sake of being more art. I that agree. is my extremely hot take. That's I agree. It. I've never heard of this whole multiverses thing, and I'm not a gamer, so like I don't know. <laughs> my thing with this is that it, it. I agree with that point, but it also feels very capitalist right now. That's just like it's literally just a bunch of random characters. Then again, so is Smash Bros. So whatever. I will say this feels like what the Nicktoon Squad battle game brawl, whatever mm-hmm. it was supposed to be in terms of the budget and the way that they actually have voice acting. They actually have like proper like attack animations. They have actually a a more clean version of what that Nick game should have been. Yeah. My biggest issue with this right now so far is that they have pick and choose random characters and not like groups from franchises. Like they shouldn't yeah. have Jackie. They should have the Scooby gang. They shouldn't have Arya Stark. They should have her and Jon Snow and even a dire wolf. Like you have like a bunch of things like how Smash Bros has like factions of characters basically. Yeah. I will say it is kind of hilarious thinking of Batman just being the crap out of Jake the dog or like Arya Stark <laughs> stabbing Steven Universe. Like, it's fun thinking of things like that. Or imagine Shaggy having to use 1% of his power. <laughs> it's funny that to too. say that because in the game, he actually he has the Ultra Instinct Shaggy meme version. He has all the powers of, like, the gods. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm giving this a, a yay? Because I don't know why I'm giving a yay. 
But I'll maybe it a Tony's a pen will be in it. That seems neat. Sorry, I, I don't know what this game is. I can't really give an opinion. I do, however, love it when companies when companies turn memes into canon. That is absolutely amazing to me. It's great. So this person here, uh, Hunter here, has started watching Avatar The Last Airbender recently. Um, Woo! He is on book two of Avatar now, and I think you're still enjoying it. Casting's happened. Daniel, I'm gonna, yeah, Daniel DeCam is playing Ozai in the new live-action show, as well as... Um, They've cast Monk Gyatso, Admiral Zhao, and General Iroh himself. Paul's son, Hyung Lee, is playing Iroh, which is what I want to focus the most. He is in Kim's Convenience, mm-hmm. I think. He's yep. in many other amazing like shows and movies, and he's a hilarious actor. He, and he also can, has, like, has a good, like serious tone to him, too. I'm, yeah, he's, he's great casting for Iroh. Yeah, like every casting that they've put out, I've been like, Yep. You understood the assignment. I've been very happy with that, uh, especially with Daniel Duke Kim's Ozai. He looks just like the actor playing Zuko first off, like a father. He also has Ozai's cheekbones down packed. And also he's voiced two characters in the African universe already. He was uh, General Fong in Book 2 Avatar, and he is in Legend of Korra as Hiroshi Sato. So that's pretty cool. I like these castings so far. I'm giving it a yay. I'm hesitant because the original creators left the show, but I'm still excited because the castings make me feel like they understand the characters. I'm going to give it a yay because the casting clearly shows that they're putting in an effort to make this like an authentic version. Plus like the amount of time it's been taking for them to make this instead of just like rushing it out like a year after they announced it. Like it's been three years since they announced the show. And like now we're they're finally starting to actually make it shows they've been taking their time to make sure that it's right. So I'm going to give it a yay. I'm going to give it a yay. All these casting choices look awesome. I do not know the quality of the show. I have no idea how good the show is going to be, but I will say that the casting looks great. And I'm not going to hark on too much of the stuff. I know Disney Plus Day happened. Too much happened with it to talk about. Yep. Moon Knight looks cool. She-Hulk looks cool. I am excited for the I Am Groot show. Agatha and the House of Harkness seems neat. I am Um, most excited for Moon Knight. That gives me such Daredevil Netflix vibes. I'm happy with this uh, stuff that's happened at Disney Plus Day for the most part. I will say I'm a little bit bitter, but also happy about the Spider-Man Chronicles show because I wanted to make it instead of Disney. But I'm happy it's being made in the first place. More art. And one last piece of news for today, uh, I will touch on quickly, uh, Ariana Grande and Cynthia Erivo were cast in Wicked Movie, both great. But the news I want to talk about for a second is the the Batman movie called The Batman. Oh, yeah. What about um, it? Barry K, K, Barry K. He was in Eternals as Druig. I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name because I will butcher it. But he is officially playing an officer in the movie called Stanley something, Officer Stanley something. I think Kelman's or whatever. But He's rumored to play a Joker in the movie, and his brother might have confirmed it on Facebook. And that's really weird to me. Hunter seems to not be aware of this at all. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just like, do people actually think the Joker is going to appear in Matt Reeves' The Batman? I have honestly no idea what's going to happen in this movie at this point. I think it's, they already have like three. They have uh, Catwoman, they have uh, Riddler, uh, Riddler Penguin. Penguin. It's very long Which Halloween is- vibes. Which is part of why I'm like, why do people think the Joker... Like, I get it. The Joker's popular. People like seeing the Joker. People always like seeing more Joker. I'm just like, I, I, I don't see why people think he's actually going to appear. There's a difference between we want him to appear and he's going to appear. Right. And like, I, I'm like, why, why do people think Barry... Cu- ca- yep. Ca- yeah. yep. Never mind. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have never actually heard his name pronounced in real life. I've Kayahan? only looked at pictures. But I'm not sure. 
I, my anyway. guess with this is that it's going to be like a tease. Like um, we'll see his character in this to who knows how much of a degree. And at the end of the movie, something will happen and he'll fall in a vat of acid and turn into Joker. Could be something more along the lines of that, but he won't be an actual character for the film. It could be a post-credit scene tease of we want to have more movies and he'll be the next one. I it, just it, don't think he's going to be the, jo- I, I think he's just going to be a character. They, oh, I they, agree. They've basically wrapped on photography at this point. There's no way they're still casting for somebody as big as the Joker. I think he's just going to be there. The rumor is apparently that also in the the first two screen tests, he was not Joker in it yet. And the third one, he was. As well as the fact, apparently, I'm not not reporting what was reported. It's not me saying this as a fact. His brother made a joke on Facebook or something saying, hey, I guess the news is out. My brother is playing Joker. And I think he meant it as a joke. So people are like, it's facts now. I'm like, "Uh, no, I'm giving this... The idea of him playing Joker, I think, would work. I think in paper, he's a good actor and could do it. But I don't want it in this movie. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, I think that this could be an interesting casting for Joker, but I don't think it's going to happen. I'm going to be that guy. There are only two. There is only one person who can confirm a casting choice or a plot detail. And that is a decision maker on the film. Barry is not a decision maker. He's an actor. Now, he can, he can make the decision to play the character, but it's not like he's the director or the studio or the writer or even the casting agent or anything like that. He's not in charge. And so, and his brother is definitely not in charge. I will believe that he's playing the Joker when it is confirmed that he's playing the Joker from a decision maker. But like... I don't know if, say, Hugh Jackman said, I'm appearing as Wolverine in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I'd be like, yeah, you might be, but you're not the one to say that. Sam Raimi is the person to say that, not the actor. Yeah, I agree. That said, I do think that he, as an actor, fits very well into Matt Reeves' universe. Like, he fits very well in that tone. Yeah, I think he would do great. as Officer Stanley. Sure. Nay, I think it's very much a rumor, not actually a fact. But I want to I want to bring it up because it was a very like prominent thing like, all over like online news sports sites. Yeah, I don't like feeding too much into rumors like this, so I'll just get I'll give it an A because like who who knows? Barry playing in the movie, yay! B- Barry playing Joker, nay! That's not news; <laughs> it's a rumor. There's right. a difference between rumors and news. Like like I, I'm sorry. In film dis, uh, apparently in film discourse, we did not have enough lessons as children about the importance of not spreading rumors and not starting rumors. Like, did anybody here have any of those, like, uh, really cheesy PSAs as kids about why not spread rumors? Or, like, did anybody here have their mom say, hey, don't spread rumors, it's not nice? Like, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just, like, we already learned this lesson as kids. Maybe we forgot. It is entirely possible that we forgot, or maybe we thought that we'd grown out of the need to not spread rumors. I'm just, like, these are still actual people. And they are still rumors. That's a very good point. How actors are people you're spreading rumors about. Like whether it's true or not, it can affect their life. Like first off, like the Andrew Garfield thing, which we'll get into about TikTok in a minute. But like as Spider-Man, he's asked nonstop, are you in this movie? And that's still, you're talking a rumor about him to his face constantly. It's a lot to deal with. And on top of that, he's like, I am not here to talk about Spider-Man. I'm here to promote Tick Tick Boom. Right. And speaking of Tick Tick Boom, let's talk about Tick Tick Boom. What a movie. Good movie, I like. What a good segue too, just then. All right, so where did we get? I love this so much. So good. This was really, really good. I, I loved it. Hunter, do you have background at all in theater or musical theater or anything that? 
Oh yeah. Uh, I, I did some community theater in like junior high. Um, and like, I've been around theater kids all my life and I've been involved in theater to some degree all my life. And like got to do a little bit of music, musical theater specifically in junior high. I'm also currently writing a musical. Whoa. So like tick, tick, boom, really hit home for me. <laughs> Cause like the whole time I was like, I feel that I relate to Jonathan a little too much. Josh and I watched it the other, the other night, at like 2 a.m. Good plan. Yes. We have class the next day. It's fine. This is a fantastic movie, but more than just that, it's like, it's a love letter to musical theater. And like, I think you made a, I mean, a TikTok about this yourself, Hunter. But like this movie, I loved it for not the reason that a lot of people probably love it of, oh, what a good story and stuff. No, no, no. This movie feels like they're putting on the show in a way I've never seen on screen before. Like Into the Woods, the difference is they adapted the script and music into the and put on screen. For movies like the other hands, and they try to adapt the story and the music put on screen, like adapt for film. No, no, no. They didn't adapt this for film. They did this show, but made it in a movie format. For instance, Tick, Tick, Boom originally is a one-man show. Um, and it gave me, I got the vibe of that a little bit because I thought about uh, the show I saw, This Wonderful Life, which is a one-man show retelling of It's a Wonderful Life. And it's really fat. It's a great play. But this reminded me of that a lot because in this show, this movie, we have the Andrew Garfield playing Jonathan Larson on a stage doing the Tick Tick Boom to an audience. And we see the audience and we are put in the position of that audience. So we are in the audience watching his show as he's retelling the story and narrating the story that's happening and intercutting with the story. And it's almost as if Andrew Garfield's movie is playing an actor playing Jonathan Larson doing Tick Tick Boom. And it's amazing because it really puts so, us in the seat. So the way I saw it was that the the stage performances were kind of the narrative framing device. And that after having gone through all this experience, Jonathan gets to tell his experience to an audience in the form of a stage play and then in the form of a movie. And like the very presence exactly. of this movie feels like everything Jonathan would have wanted. Right. I said to Josh, this is the only movie ever, only movie musical or adaptation of a play that's ever given me the same feeling I've gotten while being in an audience or even close to it for a show because it does do that. It's like the narrator on a stage is usually someone who comes on the stage while things are either happening or pauses that people freeze frame, he talks about it or sings about it and they cuts back to them and they keep doing things again. And it felt like that. It felt like he is the, a narrator trope the way they do it in a stage and not the way they do it in a movie. Because he's visibly there. He's acting and performing and giving his all like a theater porn does. And it's recounting his life in this fascinating way. But also, this does play with diegesis a little bit because uh, in diegetic content in film, anything that's in the universe like diegetic sound is sound that's like playing in a device in the film, whereas non-diegetic sound is like a score that the character's going to hear. Like in The Greatest Showman, there's a scene where the character starts singing and then on screen, they don't sing anymore, but it, they start to keep singing in the soundtrack. I hate that because if you're doing a musical, let the characters, they can keep singing because that world is already funky and weird because it's a musical. Let it exist like that. And they did that here. Like at the diner, they're all singing. People will turn to them and start singing along. To, it's, it's, and it stays consistent the entire time. It's like the entire thing is a Broadway show, but in that world. And it's so amazing to watch that way. One of the things that I kind of love about Tick, Tick, Boom is that like Tick, Tick, Boom is what I want movie musicals to be. In the sense of like, a musical in and of itself is an inherently formalist medium. 
formalism for people who don't know is the opposite of realism realism being the philosophy that uh the purpose of film is to accurately is to accurately capture and portray life whereas formalism is the belief that the purpose of film is to capture things that cannot be in real life so think of you know any movie ever these days we have not had a movie try to be realistic in decades last movie i can think of that was trying to be realistic was like back in the 50s but like nowadays, formalism is kind of the norm to the point that people think that's what realism is. No, like we are living in an era of mundane formalism. Anyway, um, musicals are an inherently formalist medium. They cannot and should not be realistic because one of the strengths of musicals is that it allows you to play with the form of film in ways that no other genre does. You get to have characters being uh, using diegetic sounds in universe in rhythmic ways, in ways that like no other genre can. You can't have, I don't know, um, think of think of the, this is the life of Bo, 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 Bo. Mm-hmm. Think of that whole scene and everybody joining in. That can't be in a movie that isn't a musical. Or think of the diner scene, how to represent how Jonathan feels trapped and how Jonathan feels like if he just gets on Broadway, then he'll be free from this diner. They have the wall of the diner fall off and Jonathan walks out of the diner through the wall. Like that is a perfect way to represent. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Present that through subjective filmmaking and formalism. And that's like what movie musicals are built to do. And it's wonderful. They just really lean into that. Do they lean all the way into that? No, it's not Speed Racer. But they really <laughs> lean into that in ways that like, I would love to see more movie musicals do. If, if more movie musicals are like Tick, Tick, Boom, this will become my favorite genre. And none of that felt out of place. The diner coming apart. That felt natural. And I, I believe that it was happening, but not happening. Like I, I walked on screen and believe that on stage that would happen and it'd be okay. The diner actually doesn't fall apart and come back together in real life. Yeah, like the main thing about Tick, Tick, Boom and movie musicals and just like communicating that feeling is that like you need to get across the idea that this is not what's actually going on in universe. This is simply how the filmmakers are choosing to portray what's going on in universe, whether it's how the character feels or what the character is saying or whatever else. Go ahead, Josh. Now, this has been fascinating just listening to this whole discussion. What I love about movie musicals, when they're done right, I love how they embrace the non-realism of it all. I forgot the word. Formalism. Formalism, yes. Embracing the formalism of the medium of both film and musicals and just being like, this is this is how it is. This is what it's going to be. Like The first time I felt that in a very long time watching a movie musical was La La Land. Like, the, the whole opening musical number of that is like on this highway, everyone's just singing and dancing and then everyone gets back in their car. Um, and then there's multiple dance sequences that are just through time and literal space. It's so... It's so formal in just everything that it does. And I fell in love with that. And then the last time I saw that before Tick, Tick, Boom was the original version of West Side Story um, from the early 60s. Because in like to Sean, um, I felt like that's probably one of the best representations of adapting musical to film because it while it was a good film it felt like a very good adaptation of the show i felt like i was watching the show happen before my eyes just with the way that it was framed and the way the numbers were done but still embracing the film format of itself and never being ashamed of that but what i don't like about the movie musical genre is what disney's been doing to it outside of the animated films they do not like to embrace the formalism of it despite it being you know, movies about genies and and beast mans and literal lo- talking lions. They feel ashamed to want to embrace the formalism of it all. And it really makes me sad that they've made so much money, but they've kind of twisted how people see musicals, movies. But like with Tick, Tick, Boom, going back to that realm of formalism, like makes me really happy. And that the fact that people have been embracing this movie as much as they have really really makes me happy. I want to touch on one thing you said. That's one thing I thought was fascinating about In the Heights because it didn't always fully embrace it to me. And like Lumerism as well. Weird. I felt like it did for like almost every musical number. Like I didn't feel consistent with the world it was around it though. That's my biggest issue with that. I mm-hmm. wish it was all a consistent style of how the world understands the musical environment. Like in a Broadway show, no character will ever walk on stage and not understand the singing. Yeah. Or not understand what's going to happen. And In the Heights or like a lot of movie musicals now, 
some characters aren't in the loop in that world, I guess, aren't a part of that same environment. Well, first off, for anyone who doesn't know, what is Tick, Tick, Boom about? Because we have an audience here who probably has never seen this movie yet. I'm going to rant about this movie who people not, might not have seen it. It's, it's, it's fine. They don't, need, they don't need to know what it's about. Tick, Tick, Boom is about a 30-year-old Jonathan Larson who would later go on to write and to write the musical Rent um, when he's, you know, struggling to pay his rent. Specifically, he's on the cusp of his 30th birthday, feels like he hasn't done anything with his life, is almost done with his first musical, which would, his first musical, and uh, feels like his life is just falling apart around him as his as he's finishing this musical. Whether it's losing his best friend, one of his friends um, going to the hospital with AIDS, he and his girlfriend having relationship struggles, um, and trying to find a place of creativity in a world of stress. I also love that, like you were saying earlier, a giant love letter to musical theater. And I think it's because of the amount of creatives behind it. You have Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, who created In the Heights and Hamilton. He, this is his first time as director. The screenwriter, Stephen Levinson, he created uh, Dear Evan Hansen um, and has written a bunch of other musical stuff. Um, and then of course, this is based on a musical by Jonathan Larson. So like, all of that combined together, it just, it works so well. We haven't really touched on the performances yet. Andrew Garfield is phenomenal in this role. He understands all the tics and habits of Jonathan. The way he plays it just feels so natural and realistic. Uh, you can understand and really feel his perspective the entire time. You understand why he's pushing aside people in his life. You understand why he's so stressed out, his paranoia. You feel for him and you want him to succeed and also want him to connect with people better. Like You understand all of that. And it comes across because of his nuance and his performance is so well done. On the topic of the performances, gosh, I cannot remember his name. I want to say his name is Rafael de Jesus, the guy who plays Michael. Yes. Mm -hmm. I've never seen this guy in a movie before. Me either. Like, I look through his IMDb and like, I've literally never seen him in anything. I love this guy. Like, he was great. I want to see this guy in more stuff. Uh, Vanessa Hudgens had so much just charisma in this. She just like oozed charisma through the entire <laughs> movie. Alex Ship is always great. Yep. The musical is about him writing a show which superbia. is superbia. Yeah, superbia. Very fascinating because the actual plot of this is at its core is he's writing tick tick boom. Basically, it's the journey of how he got there. I and I also talked to you briefly about this, Sean. Um, it's fascinating seeing an artist write uh, something about themselves while they're still alive and still in that process of like getting to that heights of eventual great greatness that they have how this doesn't feel egotistical because like this very much could have come off as like i'm the greatest that there ever was everyone's just wrong but it felt very real and very human that he is aware of his own flaws um but also of like what he can do well and i think that lamey well also understood that with directing it and i think that he came across very well as well as andrew's performance of course yeah he's Which is something that i kind of love about uh we were talking about how it's a love letter to musical theater so like I was saying in my TikTok that this is not a celebration of Jonathan Larson. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, this isn't saying that Jonathan Larson is good, but it is a love letter to Jonathan Larson. It's saying, Jonathan, you are flawed, but we love you. We want the best for you. You can feel this fondness and affection while not feeling like a celebration or propaganda film. Jonathan apparently plagiarized a decent bit of the show Rent, but also... It doesn't really at the end like he put on a show that at the same time put more people of color on, on stage put more, or queer people on stage he did a lot of good work while also doing flawed things and like that's how of humans work all the time but it's also like constantly showing his self-doubt yeah. he, it's not he's not saying his grace he's saying that i need help i can't do this the entire story is can he get right one last song for this show and he does but like he pushes people away in the process 
I was gonna say it does, it's great. I love that. I love that that Sondheim is there and it makes his life even more stressful. And mm-hmm. Sondheim calls him and you think it's gonna be great, but he still can't put the show on because too not mainstream and too expensive for the time. Now it would be on stage fine, like be more shows on Broadway, and that's fine. So it, it would work. But it, at the time it couldn't at all. And that's so on the like, heartbreaking. On the topic of him being egotistical, Jonathan does present himself as, yeah, I was an egotistical brat and a jerk when I was 30. Remember the musical of Tick, Tick, Boom, the one-man show that Jonathan Larson played in came out 10 years after it's set. So he's Mm -hmm. able to look back with an eye of more maturity and be like, yeah, I was a terrible human being. And like, uh, even in this movie, he straight up says things like, I'm the future of musical theater. And then he turns out to write two shows ever. And one of them, like, Nobody had heard of? Okay, sure. People had heard of Tick, Tick, Boom. Just like... Mainstream-wise, people hadn't heard of it. Yeah, it's no Phantom. It's no Wicked. It's no Lion King. or It's it's Tick, Tick, Boom. And like people had heard of Rent and heard one song. Like, he is not the future of musical theater. Says that to a friend as just like a straight-up act of arrogance. First off, I love in that scene when he says that to someone. It's someone ran off the street. Someone ran off the street, come to his house party... Um, and I, I, I love that guy. He's like, I'm just here, like what, what are you on the future? And then he comes to like the last thing. He comes to the tick tick movies in the audience at the end. And I love that too about like the most tragic part of being the future musical theater and how he wasn't was he died before Rent happened. A lot of people do not know beforehand that he he passed away like for, the day before Rent yeah, um, premiered. Came, and that's heartbreaking. Like also, all three of us are filmmakers. So imagine us making our like our masterpiece or our biggest film ever. That would be a huge hit. But we just died right before it happens. That what? would suck. <laughs> it would be sad to not see how your art affects the audience. But if you're making the art for yourself and out of love for the art, then, I mean, you've already seen it. You saw the workshops. You saw the rehearsals. You saw all that stuff. Jonathan is definitely not making art for himself. He's making art for the audience, which is not a problem. It's a wonderful thing. He's trying to make the world a better place. What's heartbreaking about it is that he never got to see the world be a better place because of him. I want to say I make art for myself, but I also want to, people to see, I want to have that validation. We all do a little bit as filmmakers. We want to have the validation of people liking what we made. We want to have people be like, hey, that was a good job. What's next? Like, we, that's kind of what you inherently want a little bit because it's, we're doing this in not, not in a void. We're not, this, we're not making films in a vacuum. I th- touching back on the idea of this being a love letter to musicals, I think that this is also Lin-Manuel Miranda's love letter to Jonathan Larson because, and like, it's kind of subtle with how it's done, but uh, you can tell if Rent, if Jonathan had never become a success and Rent had never got made, then Lynn probably never would have gotten his chance to have made in the, to make In the Heights or Hamilton, and effectively both of them changing musical theater and ways that both of them never could have seen coming. And so he's just like, thank you for doing what you had done and giving me this opportunity. I love the swimming. I love like his like routines he has to try and do better. I love that Rosa ignores his calls. I think that's like a great little problem he has to haggle with. I love that his power goes out the night before he's to his workshop. All these small little struggles that build on her are fantastic. And I love that they had a bunch of cameos from Broadway stars in the diner scene. That's really fun. I'm gonna ramble about diegesis for a moment. <laughs> Cause like we were talking about how this show plays with diegesis. There are some songs that in any other musical would be non-diegetic. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, diegesis is the world of the, of the film, the in-universe stuff, the canon, if you will. Diegetic musical numbers are things that happen in-universe, that the characters can hear other characters singing. Uh, think of like um, 
breaking free from high school musical versus get your head in the game from high school musical like breaking free is set up as an audition that somebody is supposed to hear or think of me from fan of the opera or or high times hard times from newsies and the non-diegetic musical numbers like get your head in the game or masquerade or carrying the banner they're all the filmmakers or creators trying to communicate what the characters are feeling and doing in the most effective way they can, which in this case is song and dance. Okay, with all that said, Boho Days, the one that goes, this is the life of Boba Bobo. In any other show, that would be a non-diegetic musical number. But because they've set up that all the characters in the room are musical theater lovers, and because they've set up that Jonathan, I mean, this is kind of how they set up, that Jonathan improvises musical theater songs off the top of his head all the time, you can tell this is actually happening in universe. Uh, that that one guy who's random guy off the street who just showed up because they because this is a good party is actually hearing Jonathan sing. And because of that, one, you can tell that Jonathan loves musical theater. You can tell that everybody here loves musical theater. This is what they do in their spare, not just in their spare time, but like, this is how they live. This is just the thing that happens while they're doing dishes or the thing that happens while they're just existing um, and in between other things. You can tell that everybody in the room is willing to follow Jonathan during this scene. He sets the tone, he sets the beat, he sets the tune. He, he's the leader here and everyone is willing to follow him. And most of the movie is about everybody becoming not willing to follow him until finally he has to get them back on track. Like this movie, this one scene sets up his relationship with almost every other character in the show, uh, especially Michael. Michael is the only person in the entire song to sing along with Jonathan, which I don't, I don't know if you guys have done like those improv games of like singing two, two people singing the same song at the same time and trying to keep up with each other and trying to play off each other and trying to trying to read each other's movements and trying to figure out what the next it's line been is a while, going but to yeah. be, what the next word is going to be. Anybody who's done musical theater has probably done some sort of game like that. And you know, that is hard. But it's, but it's so much easier if you have a good rapport with the other person. You can play off of them, and you can know what they're going to say. And Michael is the only person in the room with that good of rapport with him. Not even his girlfriend has that good of rapport with him. Um, and so you really get to feel how close he is with Michael, and you get to feel how Jonathan is willing to make a song out of anything and with no ingredients. Like he could, there, there's a scene where he says, um, let's just do all the songs acapella. And I'm like, dude, you could, you could just like start having the characters go and start singing and it would work because you know how to do that. But like, it, it, it's really setting up that he can do that, but he doesn't want to. He wants this big rock opera in the style of like Rico or something like that. And then later on, during the song about Michael, right at the end, when, when he's just figured out that Michael is HIV positive and he goes to the piano and starts playing, in most musicals, it would be kind of like, I don't know if this is diegetic or not. Like, it kind of lies in this weird realm between the diegeses. Because, sure, he's improvising this, but he's playing this, so, like, we don't know. Is he I think just it's playing piano here. and thinking of Michael? Like, in, in any other show, we'd be like, is he just playing piano and thinking of Michael? And, like, this is how they're presenting it. But in this show, it's pretty clear. No, no, no. He is actually singing. He is making up a song about Michael. And, like, this is how I act, too. That, like, I'll sit down, the, down to the piano and try to express my feelings through the piano. 
and sometimes make up some words to it because that'll help me to express how I'm feeling in the moment. And this is his therapy. This is the only therapy session that he goes to in the entire movie and he needs more therapy sessions throughout the movie. And like, you can feel that this is very therapeutic to him and you can feel the just raw emotion of him not just singing about Michael, but improvising about Michael. The fact that non that usually non-diegetic songs become diegetic makes these songs so much more powerful, but it doesn't get in the way of allowing for non-diegetic songs. I think there's only one non-diegetic song in the entire musical. I think the only one that's non-diegetic is Sunday at the diner. I'm gonna challenge you and say, why can't it be diegetic? Because in this world, because everyone's playing around with it too, it could be in this world that there's a little bit more fun musical vibes with it. A little bit. I could see that. Um, all the characters seem very not interested in joining in on a song with Jonathan there. And also, you know, the whole scene of like the, the wall falling off and him walking out of the diner like that. That doesn't seem like what the characters would do, but I could see that they do it anyway. I don't know. If, there are some songs where it, it would be non-diegetic if it were in-universe. Um, the, the one that's like, I feel bad that you feel bad that that, that whole thing. Therapy like, session, yeah. Yeah, if they were doing that in-universe, we would be like, okay, yeah, that's non-diegetic. Actually, we might still think it's diegetic. Well, anyway, so here's the thing. Because, because they... Oh, th- just they make it diegetic by putting it in the in the stage performance at the end instead of having Alex and John instead of having I can't remember his girlfriend's name instead of having Alex Ship and or and Andrew Garfield singing it at that moment. Exactly, that's why I'm saying every single thing is diegetic because it's all part of the show. It's all a bit a bit part of the Tick Tick Boom show. Oh my gosh, I just realized. Like on that topic, like there are two very different dietices in this movie. Exactly. They're all direct to the one show he's telling and doing the story for the audience. There is Tick, Tick, Boom, the, the stage play, which is very diegetic. And then there is a completely different level of diegesis, which is Jonathan's flashbacks to the previous scenes, which he is communicating through Tick, Tick, Whoa! Which also could like, be... Played with diegesis the whole time. And because I said at the very beginning, I feel like uh, Andrew Garfield's playing a character playing John Larson Everyone in those flashbacks, in our in theory, could also be actors playing those characters on the stage with him and, and interacting with the audience too, because he's retelling this, and it's clearly not a one man show in this version. Those could be the characters he's like he's portraying and stuff as well. Therapy. That song is so much fun. That back and forth of like them arguing to the 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 I feel bad that you feel bad about I feel yeah that's fantastic. I know that we were like trying to wrap up. If I may present a wrap up question, we have time. Yeah, go ahead. Who are some filmmakers who you would want to see do a big movie musical in a formless style? Edgar Wright. Yes, I would love that. Like That'd be perfect. I, I kind of want a Scott Pilgrim stage musical. Matthew Vaughn. Yes, that, like he was, he was the exact reason why I was going to bring up this question. I really want to see Matthew Vaughn do a musical. I also really want to see Matthew Vaughn do a heist movie. I've told us about Tosh before. Those are my two favorite directors, so that's why. Okay, okay. Um... I would love to, oh gosh, um, I, I think it would be really interesting to see James Wan doing a musical. Like he knows Ooh. how to play with formalism. He knows how to play with the camera and he knows how to do the subjective filmmaking that musicals need. But the kind of musical that he would do is not the kind of musical that Edgar Wright or Matthew Vaughn would do. I would, especially after seeing his new film, Malignant, 
he does not care at all like on taking things seriously so i think james wan doing a musical could be so much fun i don't know what the show would be maybe it could be like a sweeney todd kind of show but it could Uh be so much fun like i just saw a i just saw a brand new frankenstein musical like created by two people who live in my city and i'm like i could see james wan putting on like a frankenstein musical or a jekyll and hyde musical or something like that and it would be so cool please not a saw musical though i I could see james wan doing repo the genetic opera that could be cool To add on to that, for Spielberg's West Side Story coming out in like, what is it, like two weeks now, do you think that he's going to embrace the formalism of it? Or do you think that he's going to try to balance out the formalism with realism? Spielberg is obviously a very good filmmaker and knows what he's doing, but this is his first time doing musical. So I'm curious to see what both of your thoughts are. I have a feeling to be closer to Jeremy Hansen that would be to Tick Tick Boom in terms of style. Yeah, I think that Spielberg would, you know, make a standard Spielberg movie, which is kind of like in the middle of realism and formalism. It'll be weird, really fun. Yeah, yeah, he'll like occasionally do like a dolly zoom, like in Jaws or something like that. I would love to to see the Wachowskis do a musical. Ooh, especially after I haven't seen Speed Racer, but like they are filmmakers that know how to embrace formalism and oh like are just God, like we yeah. we love this because I think it's only Lana. I think she's the only one that's directing the new Matrix. So I don't know if uh, both of them will work together again. But if they do, I would love a musical from the two of them. Think of like V for Vendetta, like that style as a musical. Michael Gondry, he made The Green Hornet and Eternal Sunshine. It looks like. And Ooh, I that would be a mind because trip. his absolute bonkers style would be perfect. I um, love that. I, I know this sounds really stupid. I want to see Guy Ritchie do a musical. I know the reason that sounds stupid is because he did. He did a lot. No, he did not. What no, it, no. That didn't happen. Like, I, I, wanna, I, I get what you're saying. I come 100% understand what you're saying. I would love that so yeah, much. Gems. It, think of like Think of the very rhythmic style of King Arthur Legend of the Sword. Every single scene in that is like, no, no, we are not here to get you to feel the emotion. We are here to be cool and we are here to be rhythmic. I would love to see him do a musical. I was just watching stuff from his two Sherlock Holmes movies with Robert Downey Jr. And like the way that he does the fight scenes, the choreography, the timing of everything, it's just, it's so well built up. And I think that he could do musicals really well. I don't know what exactly happened with Aladdin, but I hope that he learned his lesson with that first one because he is going to be directing the second one. And I hope that he'll embrace the formalism of it more and have way more fun with it. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what we go to Guy Ritchie for. I also want to say one last thing about Tick, Tick, Boom. That's a small little fun thing. I love in his session four coming up with names for products of like chemicals and stuff, whatever the branding first stuff. I think America in, in actuality are the bad stuff because the country has a lot of problems and hearing the propaganda, like bald eagles, George Washington, like, ah, this is very American. Cool. Oh, on that topic, on the topic of that scene, one of the reasons why this movie feels like it feels like it moves so smoothly throughout different levels of diegesis, non-diegetic, diegetic, diegetic to a different level. Um, it's because the movie itself keeps flowing through different levels of diegesis outside of the songs. It's not a movie that has songs in it. They keep using the format of a musical. Like during, during, the, during the focus group scene, when he says uh, racism, genocide, etc., it's very clearly non-diegetic. He's looking directly at the camera. He's looking up. It gives us a completely different camera angle. It's a much more formalist camera angle. Like it's a camera angle that can't exist in real life. Like 
this is very clearly not a diegetic moment. And they have like a visual cue to make sure that you know when they're going into what style so that once you go into a song, it doesn't feel weird for them to do that. And I think it works better because like I said from the beginning, he, we are in the frame of the fake audience watching the show. So at that point, he's like, he's breaking the fourth wall as like an actor and setting lines. Fun little side note. Here's the next thing. Like, like on stage, you would do that. Also, Absolutely. He's doing a side. Yeah. Now, I think we, we got to move into the next segment and the last segment of the podcast, which is super weird stories. Very fun. I kept it musical themes here with the character of Music Meister. So I don't, really, I don't know if either of you ever heard the character. I think I told Josh about who this was the other day, potentially. But Music Meister is a DC Comics character that was, like Harley Quinn, first introduced in a cartoon. He's the guy in that flash in that flash episode duet where he's where he's uh yep, with I'll get, Supergirl I'll get and yep. they go and strapped in TV land. Yep. So I'll get into that in a minute. Um, Music Meister, uh, for those of you who aren't aware of this podcast, we have a thing called Super Weird Stories, where I'll tell you should talk about a weird or wholesome or problematic, which there have been some of those, uh, stories in either comic book history or just superhero history. We had a whole episode of one before called Phoenix Jones about a real-life superhero in Seattle. And this is a, a little tangent about Music Meister. Now, I'm going to put in the chat, um, in our Discord chat, a link to a picture of how he first appeared ever in Batman the Brave and the Bold. Uh, he had a green tie and a very fun outfit, and he was voiced by Neil Patrick Harris, which is just perfect. I love that. He's got a, he's got a look, and Neil Patrick Harris voicing him is perfect. I think it's perfect as well. He uh, was created by Mike Jelinek and James Tucker. He first appeared in the episode of Mayhem of the Music Meister in that show, and then he first appeared in a comic book in a comic book sequel to that to that same uh, episode, which I love when comic books do tie-ins to like TV or movies as well to get more more detail and things. I love that. Now he's a weird character, but he doesn't really have any hard set powers like in, in like, any medium. Most comic characters, even when they go from medium to medium, like or like show to show or something, their powers stay relatively the same. Like Superman's always gonna have super strength, heat vision, like flight, we freeze breath, etc. But no, he's just like vague songs for the most part. <laughs> and then he appeared uh, a few years back on an episode of The Flash and Supergirl, which he was the, the villain, but wasn't a villain. What his job was to do was to put Supergirl, uh, her boyfriend Monel, Iris West. And Barry Allen all in the comas through song, where they will have dreams, like interconnected dreams that are all musical styling, and all of them are perfect singers because all they're on Glee and other things too. Played by Darren Chris from Glee. And what they did was the whole thing was about love and fixing relationships. And it felt like the silliest side, like sideway from the rest of the show was happening. There was dire stakes happening that season. Iris was about to be killed by a, a like future version of Barry, and it was like high stakes, big monster. Then we have a side tangent of just let's just dance and sing. Why not? In fun dream comas of songs. I kind of love that when they did that, they used the Trapped in TV Land format to progress the character arcs. Because yes. the point of the episode was to get Barry and Iris to actually like each other again, because they've been going through a lot of relationship struggles through the entire season. 
Right. I assumed the same thing with Supergirl and her boyfriend, but I hadn't been watching that show. And so, like, it wasn't just a random filler episode of fun for the sake of fun. It actually also progressed the plot. That said, fun for the sake of fun is always nice. It's just, like, like you said, kind of a weird time to do fun for the sake of fun. But, like, fun for the sake of fun was how they were going to progress the character arcs thing. And what's weird about that is on Supergirl, um, also, Monel was played by is played by her now husband. Um, they were dating at the time. And it's very fascinating because in the show, they break up short, like in, in, permanently, I think. <laughs> and it's like, why do this whole thing about, you know, fighting love again through a song with Darren Chris um, as a music master? They are a character who has appeared in very little, um, but he's a metahuman, like in comics. And his ability is to cause every living being who hears his voice to burst into song and dance. That is his consistent power in comic books now, which is amazing. Everyone who hears his voice thinks they're in a musical temporarily. As I remember, because I, I haven't watched any of the CW shows aside from like, I think the first half of the first season of Flash. Um, so when I saw like the ads for the musical episode that we're talking about on TV, I was just like, what happened to the show? Is this permanent? What, what's, what's going on? And it's the same feeling that I get every time like Riverdale does a musical episode. It's just completely out of left field. It makes no sense, but they're having a fun time. <laughs> And about this character again, he appeared in Batman Brave and Bold. And in there, he was able to, on cue, change his outfits like a musical actor can just on uh, change his outfits for quick changes. And he did it in different eras of musical people. Like he just changed an Elvis outfit. Changed into a Frank Sinatra Gene Kelly crooner outfit. Right. And that's just something he just did. And like a Cab Calloway zoot suit was one of the things he changed into. And I love that. He has no alter ego. He is just music meister. There is no other name for him. He is solely Music Meister. And his origin is unknown. And he's been on almost nothing really since then. And I think that's a shame. Bring back music. Make him the, in a villain of a Justice League movie. Just for fun. Yeah, you ever think about how, like, as soon as you introduce him, as soon as you announce that Music Meister will be a character in your thing, you are saying so much about your tone. Like, can you imagine, like, Zack Snyder's Batman fighting music. My no, no, that that doesn't fit the tone. That said, I would absolutely love to see that. Or as soon as you announce that uh, that music meister is going to appear, or, or like even Matt Reeves the Batman, just not the right time for music meister. Just like as soon as you announce this character even exists, you say everything you need to know about the tone of your show. That being said, you can twist him in creepier ways. I feel like he's inherently funny and fun. So if you twist that too much, is it still the same character? And this one is a character who in DC Comics shouldn't really exist, but does, and I love him. He's also just a character who really only works in, in an audio medium. Right. Like, film is an audio-visual medium. Cartoons, stage plays. Like, I'm trying to imagine him in a comic. Like, you said he's been in comics, but like, how? Do you want to see a picture? Let me pull a picture of this. Um, I mean, I assume that they just like have music notes and and like have those little uh, those little lines on the outside of speech bubbles that like show that a character is singing, kind of like they do when a character starts singing Christmas Carol. But like, I, I'm like that 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 feels different in a different media. It works fundamentally different in a different media. Here's the the comic book I think I just found. I'll put it in the chat as well. It's the same style of Batman Brave and Bold in the comic. Looks like he tied into. So it's still that same uh, zany fun environment uh here's some fun um quotes from him though bullies to pick on me because i sang in choir what a quote uh, we also have 
but something very strange occurred when I kept singing higher. The ruffians around me quickly fell into a trance. And it was then, with wicked glee, I made those, those puppets dance. And that's, that's the first quote. And the second one is, the music meister sings the song that the world needs to hear. What a character. Why are you making him sound creepy? He's written in rhyme, and Neil Patrick Harris voiced that. So that's amazing. I want to hear that episode now. Same! Same! I'll find a link and send it to y'all. We can, we can watch it sometime. Hunter, what are you making right now? What do you want to promote? So we are in the last week of my found footage Dracula Kickstarter. So when Bram Stoker wrote Dracula, he was playing around with the idea of an epistolary novel, which is a novel that's written only in letters. And he took that a little further and made it a novel written in letters and journal entries and uh, notes and newspaper clippings. And I was like, the only way to capture it, that part of the spirit of the novel, to capture how it feels to read Dracula, like that's found footage. He, he found evidence for a thing that happened written by the original people who were involved. And I'm like, then let's make it a found footage movie, but let's play with what found footage can do. So it's not just like 90s camcorders. We're going to make Jonathan's journal a TikTok and we're going to make Mina and Elizabeth's, Mina Elizabeth's letters into Marco Polo's. And we're going to make uh, Van Helsing's notes about vampires into a conspiracy podcast that he streams on YouTube, kind of like this episode. Just I love about that. Conspiracies instead of this. Um, and we're, we're going to try to get a news, a news reporter to like do a news anchor segment like they would do on, on the news because like that's how they do it in the book they have a newspaper clipping that's the way to capture the spirit of it but from there if it's going to be found footage dracula can't appear on film and so we're going to be really leaning into this just this like psychological horror aspect of the novel that very few other dracula movies lead into of showing like okay in the 1931 bela lugosi dracula movie there's a line it is one of the it is one of the weirdest lines i've ever heard in a movie where jonathan says i kid you not but what's dracula got to do with vampires we're going to be really leaning into that side of just like the ambiguity and uncertainty of like is he really a vampire is he a werewolf is he a weirdo is he just like this really polite politician and everyone else is paranoid and just giving the audience a sense of paranoia and dread and uncertainty by leaning into the psychological horror aspect of it because I love of that. all of that one of our kickstarter perks is getting is uh this is like the highest tier of the perk is getting a personalized in-character message from one of the cast members. So like you can get a message from Jonathan of him begging you to save him from Dracula or a message from Mina uh, being a Marco Polo that's like, hey, just wanted to check in on you, bestie. Um, I, I haven't heard much from any of the others, but I wanted to know if you had any information, that kind of stuff. That made me picture like just Dracula doing a cameo, like on Cameo, like a website. Yes. Um, also, yes. fun fact, I that did great. show Dracula uh, in ninth grade. Uh, in oh, nice! Grade. Yeah, like, it was really fun. So, oh, I, nice. I, I always like love the character in that story because, like, because that's been attached to me now. Um, so, I'm really excited for this film you're making. I love it. You also reached your base goal already, so you're gonna do you're making a film now. Uh, what now? Yeah, yeah, we reached our base goal, so we're able to make a short film. And uh, on the topic of reaching our base goal, we have enough money to make it like a 20 30 minute short film. Our goal is to get enough money to make a 90-minute feature that adapts the entire novel instead of, like, having to gloss over anything. And to get that, we're going to have to get, like, $2,000 more in the next two weeks. But that said, we've reached our base goal. It's doable. We're going to make something no matter what. And thank you so much for the help. Yeah, of course. And everyone, please go check out this Kickstarter. It'll be in the show notes down below. By the time that this audio goes out, the Kickstarter will be ending, but you can still help out him by donating to his Venmo, at Hunter Ferris, or his Cash App, Wholesome Film Talk, 
but this time talk is actually spelled like talk t-a-l-k instead of t-o-k so please uh donate there with the little note saying from geek speak podcast to the film or something along along those lines awesome sorry for the delaying episodes go check it out also hunter where can people find you uh, you can find me on TikTok at Wholesome Film Talk. Talk is spelled T-O-K because like, it's, like, it's TikTok. like TikTok. Josh, where can people find you? People, you can find me Twitter, J underscore Rudy28. Uh, Instagram, J underscore Rudy16. Uh, Letterboxd at Nerd for Film 28 And YouTube at Josh Rudolph. And That's I'm, a lot. I'm places. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at The Theater Nerd. On TikTok as well at That Nerd and Theater, which... I also run the Nerd Talk Productions Twitter and other socials accounts, which is where we have, have the podcast at nerdtalkproductionsyt at gmail.com. Please email in to us, talk, give us questions, like uh, comments, concerns. You want to, if this is your first time listening, email us and say hi, first time listener, and tell us a bit about yourself. Be fun. I also run the, the Twitter at nerdtalk underscore prod and with the hashtag geekspeakpod. Tweet at us. All right. Thank you for listening. Bye. Thank you very much. Bob. 